Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. This is a podcast for anybody interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and joined by the illustrious Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan? Good, Rob. I'm good. What does that even mean, what you just said? Illustrious? No. Or the reinvention yeah, of education? Yeah, that part. The reinventing of education basically means taking what we have and creating something different, something new, something better. I think a lot of people get tied in with a bit of an idealistic idea that we can do wonderful things with education, and you and I are here to put them in their place, humble them, and say it's not as simple as just doing a bunch of new stuff. you got to understand how this game is set up if you want to change it. And what about people who say that it's essentially a front for some kind of cult? Our podcast or education is? Both. <laughs> um, I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. Okay, I'm doing fine, Rob. Um, <laughs> today we had a, a Lego breakfast at our school, which was cool. Lots of the the kids uh, got to make things with Lego, and there's a giant uh, Empire State building made of Lego. And outside was a takoyaki van selling a crunchy version of takoyaki with a chili. What is takoyaki? Takoyaki is is the is the the ball that has little bits of octopus inside. You probably you probably seen them. Oh, I do know those. Yeah, they're available in Lavon the Nova. I'm not surprised. You mentioned it. They're great. This particular van outside had the chili pineapple sauce, which I'd never had before, was delicious. Apparently, he's the same guy that when Anthony Bourdain came to Japan to look for takoyaki, he visited this guy's restaurant. Uh, I tell you, Rob, Rob, pretty damn good. And you had some ramen as well. Wow. If we're going to go down this this path, I also, there's a craft. Just say you had ramen and then we can move no, on. No, no, there's a craft ramen. Craft ramen shop that sells vegan and vegetarian ramen. It's delicious. I don't get to eat ramen very much because I'm a like kind of fake vegetarian, but I certainly don't eat like bits of pork, just big old bits. So uh, this was good for me. And, and you're in Osaka, Japan, right? We're in Osaka, Japan, which is a city, and uh, Japan is a country. It's a long way from Livonia, which is in Belgium, I believe, which is also a country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is where I am today. And how are you doing, Rob? In 10 seconds, things are going well. My little baby boy is three months old as of today. And I've got some chicken vegetable soup cooking away in the slow cooker in the background. Things nice. are well. It doesn't have to be 10 seconds. I'm trusting that the people listening to this podcast will give you 90 seconds. I timed mine. Listen, let me... Two more quick things. Two more quick things. Had a nice integral theory meetup yeah, in Brussels yesterday. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. With uh, the Mind Openers, the work of uh, Bernard Possert. Definitely someone worth checking out. Um, doing some things that help to develop cognitive complexity by being able to look at situations from multiple perspectives and from new ways. So that was really cool. And I think as a, uh, a not red herring, what's the word I'm looking for? little plot twist i'll just put that here now because i'm sure at some point down the road we'll come back to that guy's work or or similar things as well says, that's interesting and unlike my ramen story my takoyaki story all my stories it's also relevant google them google them google them bernard okay, does... possert google him. google him first website that comes up is his stuff he's got really interesting stuff with sdo the self-developmental organizations so organizations whether it be business or education where the people involved are interested in personal development or personal development of your capacities um in order to do self-organizing organizations. There's sort of this Thielman stuff, or often we mention the Belgian author, Frederick Leloup. Uh, if you're into that guy's kind of stuff, definitely check out Bernard's work. Yes. 
And um, today we have a sponsor for the show, Rob. So would you like to tell us a little bit about today, the, today's sponsor? Well, actually, I've been listening to The Portal by, is it Eric Weinstein? And they do reverse sponsorship, which is where they do give a shout out to someone with no oh, expectation right, okay. of receiving any money for it. And should that business then appreciate those shout outs, they would then consider being a sponsor. So you know what? Okay. Yeah, let's do our first reverse sponsorship and let's give a shout out to Bernard Possert and his work. Check out his website. This is how unprepared I am. I couldn't tell you his website off the top of my head, but if you Google his name, it's the first website that would then pop up and he has his information on his SDO playbook uh, as well as the mind openers information. And he's just a fascinating guy. I had the pleasure of Skyping with him a few times and meeting him in person back at the start of the summer. And he's He's just one of those people who's just doing really interesting work and kind of pioneering some of the work that we're about in institutions and within businesses and things I like, like that. I like it. So, Unplanned. Unplanned. You're on the spot. But first reverse uh, My sponsor for today is Skynet. It's a fictional artificial neural network-based company that uh, uh, is a part of Cyberdyne Systems and, uh, and are currently building a line of cybernetic warriors. So big shout out to Skynet. Keep me in mind. Moving on. I like sections, right? I like sections and structure in this show. I'm not a freeform fool like yourself. So this section is called In a Nutshell. How do you feel about that? So is the idea here we'll kind of lay out our overarching structure we're using to approach education? Yeah, now you a had nutshell. a go last time, so I wondered if it was my turn. All right. Essentially, this whole podcast is a front for this map we are building to discuss the reinvention of education. Because there, as I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of really good-hearted people who are doing really interesting and cool, innovative stuff within education. But Brennan and I, our piece of the puzzle we're trying to bring forth is a map that all of us can use to help navigate the restructuring and the reinvention of education and so that we can kind of see where each other are coming from as well. So we've got a few different components of our map. Brendan O'Leary, what are the aims of education and school? We are saying, we are making the bold claim that the three aims of education are to build citizens, to prepare people for work, and to develop themselves as individuals. All right, so those are the three aims that we could say all schools have in common, but how we go about doing those things are influenced by the values. So what are the four values we've discussed on our show? We would say there is a mindset that values security. There is a mindset that values opportunity. There is a mindset that values inclusion. And then there is a fourth mindset that values the integration of all of these. And then... If we want to look at the specifics of school, we would shift over to what we are calling the aspects of school, which are based off the quadrants model uh, in integral theory. So what are the different eight aspects of school? Okay, so we would look at the beliefs and reactions of the individuals inside our organization. We would also look at the culture and the community of the organization. We have the activities and resources. And finally, we have the environment and systems. So just to be clear that you should memorize all that. You'll need it. There will be a test later on. All right, so where are we up to in terms of our season? So our aim of this season was to look at the values you've just mentioned, security, opportunity, inclusion, and integration, 
and we wanted to isolate each value into a thought experiment where we could go take a tour of a school that's completely governed by the value. Now, the reason we're wanting to do this is because in 2019, if you actually enter any school, it's going to be a tussle between all three or four of those values. Any school in 2019 is going to have those four values online trying to call the shots in what's happening in the school. We've used the analogy of you know, four different sports happening on the same field or four different flavors of juice in the same fruit punch. It's going to be a mixture of these four. So we're trying to isolate each so we can get a real sense of the flavor or the aims or the ways that that value goes about doing things in those eight aspects that you just so adeptly identified in terms of the systems, the environments, the practices, the resources, the communities, the cultures, the beliefs, and the reactions. So to see those things, we're doing thought experiments in this season, and our thought experiment is to show up to a school that obviously doesn't actually exist. This is a school that is completely governed and influenced by the one value, and we've started with the security value. Now, you and I are changing course a little bit midstream, which we always feel a little bit of hesitation to do so, but we kind of figured a school visit might take us one episode, and then we could break down the babies and the bathwaters from that school. So we're presenting it sort of in its truest, clearest form, and then you and I intend to kind of break down what we want to take from it, the babies, if you will, and what's the bathwater, what can we set aside from it. However, it's taken us three full episodes just to address all the aspects of school that we had hoped to. So rather than take another probably three, maybe even more episodes to explain the Opportunity School and three or more episodes to explain the, the Inclusion School, what we are going to do is today go back through our visit in the security school and begin to talk about the kind of babies and the bathwaters. But Brennan, can you explain a little bit further this idea of the dials, this kind of metaphor that you and I have been using? So if you imagine that there are the three main values that are operating in schools, which would be opportunity, security, and inclusion. What we say is there is the fourth value called integration. And this is where we can adjust our mindset depending on the context. We imagine each mindset or each value, security, opportunity, and inclusion as a dial that we can turn up or down depending on what best serves the context. What is healthiest for everybody inside our school community? And so what we saw within the security school is that that security dial was turned right up. And because it was in, in alignment with the wider context, that worked really well. What it meant though is that that opportunity and inclusion dial was turned right down. We didn't really see very much of those things. And in 2019, you would really exist in a place where people had each of these three mindsets, security, opportunity and inclusion. And so to be in a place where that security value was turned right up high and opportunity inclusion was turned really low would probably not work for many people inside your organization. So what we're going to look at today is we go back through our visit to the security school. And as we look at each aspect of the school, we say, when would that be right or good or best or healthy? Or when would it be that maybe you'd want to turn it down? So this 
security school operates inside a feudal mindset. And if you go back and listen to the episode, you'll see how it works really well in this kind of hierarchical, traditional kind of context. Now, when the barbarians are at the door and you are in deep, deep doo-doo, it's really time for that hierarchy and authority and duty to really come to the front and turn that dial all the way up because you need everybody on board doing exactly what is needed and really fulfilling their responsibilities to the whole group so that you can stand up against this danger. However, in 2019, maybe that doesn't happen quite as much. And so having that security value turned really up high might not work in a situation where you need individuals to think critically or identify opportunities for change. And so it may be that as you are in a place where the context is different and actually what you need is a group of individuals who can solve problems and work together and also work individually, you may need to turn that dial up for opportunity or for inclusion and just turn that security dial down just a few notches. So there's a quote that floats around a lot on the internet that says it's attributed to Einstein but I question whether it is actually him, that says you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created the problem. And each of these values are very good at serving certain kinds of problems. So if you're living in in a feudalist state, this security value is going to solve a lot of your problems, that's for sure. But this way of thinking might not solve problems that are coming from the opportunity level of thinking. It's probably not going to be great for solving problems that are coming from the inclusion level of thinking. And if you are in the opportunity mindset, what may happen is you turn down the security mindset so low that you actually lose many of the benefits that still are applicable in your context. So for example, the idea of adherence to authority and duty can still be important and useful as a tool to have, even in a global capitalist system that favors opportunity. And what we're trying to say here is that that dial metaphor means that we don't want to turn up the opportunity dial all the way and say, this is the only one. As long as this is raging at 11, we're absolutely great. We might take it down to eight or nine. That's awesome. But you see that security one over there? Don't touch it. It's useless. If you even turn it past zero, it's going to destroy everything. So it's just wrong. Don't touch it. That's an extreme of the mindset. No, what we want to do is to say, actually, if you are careful and thoughtful with your use of that duty and adherence to authority that we get in the security mindset, even in an opportunity or an inclusion context, it can still be a very useful tool to have. And I guess that's what we mean when we say the babies, they are tools maybe that we'd keep in our back pocket. Not that I'm suggesting we keep babies in our back pockets. Don't get me wrong, Rob, it's a metaphor. But uh, if you keep that tool handy and it's like, Okay, even though we are in an inclusion school that's very postmodern and deconstructing education, for example, we don't want to ignore the fact that adherence to duty and authority and hierarchy is an option. And if we are conscious of it and we use it, we use it in a way that, that fits the context. It can be very useful to have in it it widens our tool belt. In earlier episodes, we did talk a lot about the, the integration mindset as being the place where you're essentially building a tool belt that you can go back into those other three values of security, opportunity, inclusion, and use the most appropriate tool or aspect of it for your context. If the only tool you have is a hammer, 
everything begins to look like a nail. So obviously, Brennan, you and I are of the belief our value is an alignment or our chosen value, I should say, is this integration value. And so what you and I are trying to say is in 2019, the integration value is the one that's, in our opinion, going to best serve education. And the reason we think that is because we do think the three previous values do have merit and they're not entirely wrong, but they're also not entirely right. And somebody who's holding one of those previous three values, when a challenge comes up, like you said, you might turn the volume up to 11. Or you might just double down that, oh, what we need here is more security strategies, if you're of the security value. Oh, we need more of the strategies of the opportunity mindset. Oh, we need more of the strategies of the inclusion. And you said it, what we're going to say a million times in our conversation moving forward is in the context. In the context of what? So we'll say, yeah, this is best if the context is this. And the reason we, I think we like that is because in 2019, the world's this crazy VUCA place, VUCA being the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous place. And the best yeah. strategy we think to kind of navigate that is to have a strategy that takes context into consideration and then picks and chooses which dial, which value to turn up or to turn down. Imagine just, you know, the giant spacecraft with the giant board, navigation board with all kinds of tools and dials. And what we're saying is, depending on the context of where we're going, what we're trying to do, maybe we want to turn up any of these values or in some combination that isn't available to somebody who's just always relying on the same value. All right, there's 20 minutes of context setting. Shall we get into talking about what we want to talk about? We do love the context, but what we actually did in our first three episodes set out that huge big picture and then we came to that dial metaphor and said, okay. And if you want to go back and listen to like episode three, four, and five and so on, that's what we did. Now, what we've done here is we've gone back and we're not quite moved entirely away from the abstract, but we've looked at an actual imaginary, uh, quotes, really imaginary school. And now we're at just going down another level. So now we're going to see like, okay, for a staff meeting or for the grounds of the school, what happens if you turn those dials and tweak them? And what we've done here, we've turned it up to 11 on the security and we're essentially not looking at our opportunity and inclusion dials are turned down to zero, more or less. So the first thing we, we kind of looked at even before we approached the school was that societal model. And we briefly touched on it before, but essentially the societal model inside feudalist and traditional hierarchical societies is one of master and apprentice. As you grow, you spend some time with a master in whatever realm. Whether it is in the realm of work, such as a master craftsperson, or whether it's just that you're following your family's traditions and learning those, you should do exactly what we say, even if it doesn't quite make sense and even seems like it might hurt you. You have to trust in the authority that we will get you to where you need to be. Now, why would this be a baby? In what context would this actually be awesome? When would you turn that dial up, Rob? Well, when we want experts and specialists. So if we look at like the bigger picture of the school or sort of the more holistic view of the school's alignment with the values and society, or rather the aims maybe and society. So looking at getting people ready for a career or the cultivation of that citizenship or their own self-development. You know, we want apprentices to learn a set of skills from a master to prepare them for when that responsibility becomes theirs. So even though we're not living in a feudalist society in 2019, one of the things that has carried on is 
we do still have a world of specialists. And without trying to go too much into the context of 2019, it seems more and more of entrepreneurship is coming into this idea of really specialized niches. And I think one of the things that serves people possibly in today's modern context is to have a master that you can learn a strong set of skills from so that you can then assume the responsibility of somebody who's meeting that very niche need in society. Master, master, puppets. But that... Yes. Yeah, so in 2019, we can learn a lot from that security value and say, yes, there is a master crafts person there. And you benefit a lot from just spending time with them and learning it. And you think about the restaurant trade and all of those kind of places that have the apprenticeship models still. Yeah, absolutely. It's something you do not want to lose and forget about as we move towards more individualized personal development or some competition. And it's also a value today, just as it was 100 years ago or 2000 years ago, where you have a lineage of something you want to carry on, where you don't want to cut a tie from the past. I think the most common example is just even something like the martial arts that have existed for hundreds of years, because they're not trying to adapt and evolve and get with the times and, you know, take a, I know judo is a more recent one. I think it was 1888 that Jigoro Kano developed judo, but choose another martial art that goes back further. You know, they're not trying to over time, like, oh, well, well yoga is popular right now. We'll try and work in a little yoga or like, oh, rap's really big right now. Let's work a little bit of rap, 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 music into judo. No, the idea is there's a system of wisdom here, and it's something we want to carry forth untainted by the changing times. And that's one place where this master and apprentice model really stands true. And not to go too far off topic, but my family was visiting from Canada. We uh, visited the Musical Instrument Museum in Brussels, and we're just completely dumbfounded by the sheer complexity and craftsmanship involved in some of these medieval instruments. And just looking at them and thinking, first of all, how did you ever develop this? But second of all, who on earth would you learn this from? And like, how many years would it take to make one of these instruments? And sitting in the presence of some of these instruments, it was just like, clearly this came from a master and apprenticeship model. And you would have taken years to learn how to create some of these obscure instruments. Like this isn't something you'd learn in a weekend at a workshop or something like that. Like you would have to commit years of your life to learning how to develop some of these. So that richness of quality of craft, if you don't have this master apprenticeship model, you're not going to learn this stuff through a YouTube tutorial. You know, th there is still a place for certain sets of knowledge to be passed on. What I would say is the YouTube tutorial is the master and apprentice model turned down. So I could go on YouTube and I could spend thousands of hours learning from all of those masters, but it's not the same relationship. I'm not working as their apprentice, but it's it's functioning in a similar way. That, that actually may be a way that we've brought that value back a little bit more in the sense that now you can essentially learn anything and make yourself an apprentice of this. Um, and I'd say that that's an example of that dial being turned up slightly more just in this particular aspect, not in the whole aspect of 
of security as a value. But in this aspect of security of that master and apprentice model, um, it, it does exist out there and it, there's something very special about it, uh, but it doesn't really exist in the mainstream in 2019. It's, it's, it's a niche kind of thing, but it's there on the table. If you were working in a school where you had a lot of young teachers or you were a training program, you would introduce a mentorship model and that would essentially be a, a large part of how the new teachers would, would train and learn. And there's a very, very strong case for that. Um, and it doesn't happen in most schools. Most teachers, uh, they may get a, a, a version of a mentor for a short time, but to have, okay, you've started your, your training here. You now need 12 years with this particular master teacher before you're allowed to go in front of the class. Now that's turned up to 11 or beyond, but it's like, no, but there is a case for having that dial on there not turning it down to zero. Now, let's flip it. While we're here talking about the babies and why there is some value in having that master and apprentice model, where's the downside? What's the bathwater here? What happens when that dial is turned up too high for the context? So what we've just described is where that master is someone who is competent, who is someone who is upholding those societal values, and someone who's really earned that respect. You know, the positive side of this is when that, when your martial arts master has spent years or decades to attain the highest level of black belt. You know, that's the person you want to be learning from. Where this doesn't work or where we want to turn down this is when it's clear that the master is not in alignment with the other aspects of school, or perhaps when they don't know best, or perhaps when they maybe got their position in the hierarchy without truly earning it, or maybe their merit of holding that position isn't as strong as maybe we want it to be to uphold the security of society. And also, we want the apprentice to be able to be flexible and to like act outside of a narrow range of the things that are demanded of them. And we want them to be able to do some independent decision-making and not simply always bow down to their guru and not always have to just accept what they're being told as gospel. We want them to be able to make some decisions without the master's guidance or permission upon them as well. Now, again, that's a bit of a dance. There's a back and forth of where there's an appropriate context and where there is an appropriate context for some humility and to accept that, now oh, maybe master knows best here. But what we're losing if we only rely on the master and apprenticeship model is we lose that autonomy and developing authority within the apprentice over time. And I think the word sometimes is going to be the key word here because sometimes you need a master or you benefit from having a master who you are apprenticed to and you adhere to that authority and you trust in that authority. But sometimes, no, sometimes you, this requires me in the moment to, to use my critical thinking skills or this requires me to actually question whether that master is there for the right reason. And so when authority can prove they deserve the responsibility and the authority, they're leading the school in a way that aligns with all the values and that benefits. And they've got some kind of higher level view, a bigger picture view of the whole kind of holistic existence of the community that maybe you cannot get as an apprentice. Trusting in that authority, absolutely. When it calls for individual complexity or when the authority maybe cannot prove that they deserve that authority and they're not taking responsibility, then that's the sometimes when actually this is the bathwater and we need to get away from this and turn up one of the other dials, the opportunity dial that, that focuses heavily on, on uh, individual skill and critical thought. And meritocracy of like 
earning your earning your place by proving you are competent for it. Absolutely. And so if you are able to say, hey, I'm conscious that these two or three um, mindsets would view this master and uh, master and apprentice model or this adherence to authority in a different way. What's right now for our context? Which one of these dials do we turn up, turn down? What's the balance? That's what we're kind of pushing as the integration model. So where we're going to see that the security value is in a society or within an organization that has really clear levels in a pyramid. So really clearly defined layers of authority. And ideally, you want to be able to trust the level of authority that's above you. You want to trust that their marching orders that you are kind of following with some obedience or perhaps even blind faith. You want to trust that that authority is doing what's right. And they're doing what's right in all of the aspects of school. So they're they're reinforcing the systems. They're making the environment conducive to support the, the value. So in this case, security. You're ensuring that you've got the resources that are required, that you're engaging in the kind of activities that will reinforce that value of security. And, you know, the culture and the communities are reinforcing this. And your own personal beliefs and, and your reactions to things are in alignment with this security. So we do want this kind of respect of authority and we also want this clear distinction between the layers at certain times and here's one of the babies so when authority is leading the school in a way that aligns with all of those aspects of school then we want to put our faith and trust in that authority and so the security value what we saw was the a certain set of beliefs on where the self fits inside the group now school as a social kind of experiment or institution really relies heavily on this balance between the individual and the group so when characteristics like self-discipline and supporting the duty of the school are necessary as in you feel as a community that you need to come together to to build your strength to go back to that lineage and really dig in and continue those traditions when that is the case then this security mindset is very good at that this is what it teaches it teaches that that fealty to tradition and lineage and Rob, when would it be necessary or when would it be beneficial to to pay adherence to history to lineage tradition and to duty to the group it's partially your duty to pay back what's been handed to you so when you're born into a society you've got the lineage the tradition you're standing on the shoulders of the giants and you have a duty to maintain, possibly even improve that, to hand off to the next people that are going to enter into your society. So where your individual peace comes in is when you take on that responsibility and you see your individual role or purpose being to uphold the society's duty that's being asked of you. And you might need self-discipline, for example, to maybe put some of your own personal preferences or more likely impulses. You need that self-discipline to set those aside in service of something greater than yourself. Because by upholding the society around you, it's not only benefiting you now and into the future, it's benefiting everybody else now and into the future and benefiting those who are coming next by having this strong, stable society that's secure. Because the one of the obvious times when you would need to adhere to these is when your society is crumbling and no more than when your society is at war. And obviously we have a, a bloody history in our, in our evolution. And so this system of security came about for a very, very good reason. What I've heard described is the moral equivalent of war, as in you frame 
a moral obligation to your culture or your society as essentially a war. And this is the doubling down on the security value. We want you to treat these changes in our culture as an attack on our culture and double down on this security. And I don't think it's too much of a leap then to see how this becomes a bathwater and actually becomes something that maybe is harmful to the group and especially if there are people operating with other values and mindsets so when would this be a case where yeah actually turning this dial up now is not healthy and helpful well to bring it we're talking about like a war context and a society under threat if we bring it back to the school essentially what we're saying here is you as an individual you have to agree to do what we're asking you to do so at the security value, it's pretty much a one-way street. The teacher's telling you what to do, and there's no real negotiation in that. The authority of the teacher doesn't even have to necessarily explain why you're doing this. It's just, this is your duty. I'm the teacher. I teach. That's my duty. You are the student. Your duty is to put what we've said into your head. You need to do that. And there shouldn't, at the security value, be any need to justify that. It's like, that's your role. This is my role. But where this becomes bathwater is when the school as an institution or the authority's needs don't take the individual's needs into consideration. So when things are being done that are only in service of the school or only in service of authority, but we can't actually pinpoint how the individual is benefiting from what's going on in the classroom or in the furthest reach of that, how what they're doing in the classroom will actually be of benefit for them in their occupation, or in their role or duty as a citizen, or for them personally? Is this just kind of bureaucratic school? Are you being asked to do something and you just have to do it, and there's no real purpose? It's not serving those aims of school. And it's often said that the tension in, in societies comes through its art first. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to understand why the hero's journey came about. So. The hero's journey, which essentially plots the chosen one's journey or an unassuming individual who is called to an adventure that lies outside what the society asks of them, but essentially through their own trials and change ends up serving the society in a better way. This is generally the way the hero's journey pans out. And yourself and I, Rob, we've done a lot of work. And I'm hoping over we can bring that into the reinventing education world at some point. And I think it is a security mindset story of someone who is beginning to say, oh, hold on, this isn't working quite as well as I'm being told it is. And the other story that comes from this this tradition is the emperor's new clothes. It's a different story, but it's from the mouth of babes. Standing in front of me, there's a person who they don't deserve authority and everybody else is bowing to them. And I am going to say this thing that needs to be said. And these are stories that, that as we begin to talk about shifting from the security value into the opportunity value, they're precursors to that. They are foreshadowing that change. So now we've talked about the beliefs of the self within the group. Let's talk quickly about beliefs on the purpose of education. We've kind of touched on this, but just to make it explicit, at the security value, really, when we talk about those three aims of school, we've talked about the occupational preparation, getting you ready for the job market, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. The security value is really attempting to build the idea of a dutiful citizen. It's prioritizing the aim the cultivation of citizenship first. Now, 
one of the benefits here is like if you uphold your duty as a student, the belief in the security school is if you do what we're asking you to do, there's a safe, secure place for you down the road. And what's underlying that is the kind of shared cultural value, a, a citizenry that really believes that everybody needs to uphold their duty, whatever your, your duty is. Wherever you've ended up in this pyramid, you need to fulfill your role so that we can still have this pyramid, have the security of this place. Now, obviously, one of the drawbacks, and we were just touching on this, is too much of the duty, too much of sort of like blind faith can lead to an abuse of authority. And you can have uncool people doing uncool things, and they basically go unchecked, which is not something we want. And of course, the authority that is abusing their power is one side of the coin. The other side is the complicit nature of a group towards an authority that maybe is pursuing something that it's in line with their belief, but it is abhorrent if you look at it from an outside point of view. As in many acts of conquest, many acts of invasion, many acts of war that were essentially unjustifiable historically once you step outside of that context. And millions and millions of people complicit with the aims of the authority that led to incredibly destructive and horrific outcomes. So the last part I think we want to touch on for today is shifting away from the citizenry or the society and in finally into just the employment or the job market, because this is one of the aims of school is this is where we get our workforce prepared. Now, the security value works in a world where you have incredibly limited choice for work. You probably already know what you're going to do when you leave school. You know, historically, the first son would be educated in skills and whatever, or handed the family farm, and it's kind of up to the, the rest of the kids to kind of make their own way. But there is really probably only a handful of jobs at most that you might enter into. Very different than the world of 2019, where essentially you can be almost anything. So one of the positives, which is still relevant in 2019, is although our labor market is changing, there are still jobs that you'll have for a lifetime, that if you're taught the skills ahead of time, you could theoretically hold a job for three or four decades and retire. Now, that's becoming less and less so in the modern age, but it's certainly still a reality that's out there, and we don't want to lose the training for those kinds of jobs. The negative side of it is our job market is evolving rapidly and changing so quickly that rather than having subject specific skills or role specific skills one of the things nowadays we need more and more are those softer skills or the critical thinking skills that can be applied to a wider variety of occupations a wider variety of problems a wider variety of contexts so in 2019 we're we're wanting to move away from that sort of just do what you're told mindset to can you solve problems when you're left alone mindset. This is the hardest one to make a case for so far, to be honest. The others were saying, keep it in your tool bag, you know, maybe turn it up to a two or a three. This is the one where it's like, the idea of, I mean, because obviously feudalism even predates the idea of, of a career or a job. It was a subsistence life unless you were one of the aristocracy. So it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it fits that subsistence farming lifestyle. And it's very hard to make a case in 2019 that there is, there's a place for us to, to just be ready to leave education and stay in that one job for the entirety of your life or career. 
Um, that's not to say there's not value in it. There is definitely value in those few jobs where it is the case. But I don't know many in 2019. And going forward, it looks like that's going to go less and less. That's the one that, yeah, I'd say keep it in your back pocket, but uh, you may not have to turn that dial up very high anytime soon. And yeah, and in our modern context, it might never be relevant again. But it's at least acknowledging that historically, at one point, this was relevant for school. And just over time, its importance is diminishing. Over time, it's, it's probably fading out, but who knows? Maybe the economy, economy crashes, and all of a sudden we're back to needing this. Maybe it becomes a context at some point. Yeah, however, the irony is, and we've said this before, many schools do still operate with the idea that I have to teach you this fixed set of skills and knowledge ready. And so that's the actual issue we will be dealing with more, not the fact that the real world doesn't require you to go into it with the mindset that you're going to be there for the rest of your life, but but that there are schools that still are kind of operating from that mentality. And it's like they've got their dial turned up to like eight or nine. And we're saying, oh, you know what? Let's, let's see if we can find a way to actually make this more transdisciplinary skills and more applicable cr critical thinking without losing. And we'll come to this later when we get to curriculum and what's taught inside the class without losing that core knowledge that you will benefit from, from having. But yeah, just to say the mindset that there's a job market out there for life, um, yeah, maybe keep that tucked right in the bottom of your pocket um, for a rainy day. Alrighty, so that was a that was a bit of a chunk there, but I think we got a, good, a lot of good context and some, some rich and deep and meaty conversation, Rob. Very self-congratulatory. It is, isn't it? And I'd like to go take a big big drink of pineapple juice now. Brennan, as always, a pleasure to get into this. And I think it's uh, even more enjoyable for me now as we're starting to talk about the a conglomeration of the real world that is around us. And I think we're starting, yeah. hopefully, for listeners to make connections to the actual world of school in 2019 for them and begin to see how our narrative might be useful in mapping out change within an educational context. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Brendan. Take it easy. Take it easy. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there, so far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education, but let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying. Done. Almost all of that being cut. So that will look super smooth like I knew exactly what we were doing.